Hey, welcome to another episode of FTU Life After the Military. I'm your host, Tony Rodriguez, and I'm joined again today uh, by Julian. Um, this is part two of my discussion with Julian. Uh, we cut it a little short last time. Uh, he was doing quite a few things at once, and I was a little afraid that he was, uh, I'd have a, a little accident. So I just wanted to make sure that he got home safe and uh, because, like I said before, this podcast is interesting. We're trying to help people, but not at the cost of our physical or mental health. Um, so, Julian, with that, um, please, um, I know you, there was something that you wanted to discuss earlier or previously. So, you can just uh, talk to me and talk to our audience, whatever's on your mind. Got you, got you. Thanks for having me again. Um, sorry about the inconvenience of... Uh... <laughs> me getting off work i thought i was going to be off work earlier uh uh the first uh, time we discussed um but uh glad to be back i'm free now so um but yeah uh so what we were wanting to talk about uh is afghanistan what happened in kabul you know i i wasn't over there i didn't have the experience over there what happened at the time um and uh, I just, you know, heard some things just from the grapevine of underground talk pretty much. And uh, there was one thing that set me off when I when I heard about it. Um, I saw it on a video and, you know, at first I wasn't sure if it was true. And then I started reading comments and saw where guys were, you know, commenting back and saying, yeah, this, this happened. It was messed up. And it was uh, apparently higher ups, you know, telling, uh, you know, lower staff NCOs that, hey, uh, tell your boys, like, uh, to clean up the base. It looks bad. Um, we we got to make sure it looks nice before we turn it over to the tally. And I'm like, turn it over to the tally? What, what sense does that make? Uh, you know, the enemy that we've been fighting for years. Um you know, that's, that's disheartening, not to just the, the junior enlisted, but to the guys that have actually lost brothers and sisters and have been on multiple combat tours over to the Middle East. And, you know, I've, I've got family uh, that have multiple deployments over there for long periods of time. And, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, just to me, I felt bad for them because it felt like a slap in the face to them. Um just through all the, you know, sacrifice or sacrifices uh, everybody that's been over there has made, um, even ultimate sacrifices, the guys that are no longer with us, you know, I, I felt for them, like, was their uh, sacrifice uh, worth it, you know? Um, so, like, that, that, that was, like, the disheartening part to me about it, you know, and hearing that we got to clean up and make the base look nice for the enemy. And, you know, another part was uh, all the things or all the teachings we've had about gear accountability. Like we live, breathe and sleep gear accountability. And we left so much equipment over there, vehicles, uh, weapons, you know, it just, it, it, it was fishy to me. Um, in my opinion, but that's, that's a different story. But, you know, I just, you know, every, everything we've been taught about gear accountability and the way the withdrawal happened was unacceptable in my opinion. And the loss of 13 fellow brothers and sisters, you know, that, that was unnecessary as well. 
Um, but, you know, uh, that unit, uh, I believe, was doing a float, and uh, they were the closest ones, so that's why they they went over there um, to sub help support that withdrawal. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of uh, good uh, Muslims in the Middle East that helped us out, um, and they were trying to, you know, get uh, to safety as well. And, you know, and the amount of people that, you know, helped us, and they were told, like, hey, no more flights are going out. And they're, you know, they're like, wow, we're, we're getting left, you know. Um, like, there's there's nothing else that these people can do for us. We're on our own. And, you know, I honestly, after that happened, you know, I wondered what happened to those people. Did they go back to everyday normal life, or are they in hiding for, you know, um, helping us, uh, helping us, I guess, uh, easier version of saying is cleaning up uh, their country, um, making sure it's a safe place for them and a, a place for them to thrive and not live in fear and uh, be heavily influenced by uh, radical uh, Muslim traditions. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> and that was pretty much it I had on all of Afghanistan, you know. Um, and then, uh, Another thing was there was a lieutenant colonel, Stu Scheller. He was the uh, commanding officer of uh, um, uh, Infantry Training Battalion at the time when he came out with his, uh, his statement on wanting accountability. And, you know, I, I understood where he was coming from. And as, you know, me being a, a sergeant and hearing what he had to say, like, you know, I was like, Heck yeah, this this dude is saying what we're all thinking, but nobody's saying it. And I was I was out by the time this happened, you know, and and I I mean maybe he could have said it in certain ways to make it professional, a little more professional for our environment. Um, but at the same time, I felt like he had every right as a commanding officer of an infantry training battalion to say the things he said and the way he said said them you know it, it was kind of needed um and i don't think he was being disrespectful to any officers or any uh any of his peers um i just felt that you know his voice is something that needed to be heard um at the time of this and all he wanted was you know some accountability and, I mean, that's all we've ever been taught. And uh, in the NCO creed, uh, it says, uh, there's a line in there that states, um, I will uh, influence the young. And uh, it says something about, like, the older generations of Marines. I haven't read it in so long or haven't even memorized it in a long time. But... Uh, it, it, it that statement popped in my head when he uh, or that line on the NCO creed popped in my head when he came out with his comments. And, you know, I, as a enlisted guy, I appreciate somebody in the chain of command uh, that is kind of like that as a leader. I feel like you need those type of leaders. Um, I feel like they build strong, uh, small unit leaders such as NCOs from sergeants to corporals to lance corporals. 
And, you know, like, uh, if he was still in, honestly, like, I feel like that'd be a commander. I'd be behind 100%, and I'd go to battle with him, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's all my comments about the uh, yeah. Afghanistan. So, um, to be perfectly clear and upfront and just transparent, um, I had this discussion with my, my two friends, with Drew and Jesse, when this happened, right? Mm-hmm. I, so, I, I agreed with his message. What he was saying was valid, um, but what I what I explained to both of my friends was, you have to you're you're not just judged by your words, but you're judged by your actions, right? Yeah. So he was held accountable, and I get that. Yeah. I just find it. I don't know if it's just a coincidence that he's out in December. He says the statements in August. He's out in December. By January, he already has his book published, and it's out on Amazon. Yeah, that is so, that is a little weird. I, I will attest so, to that. So I was this just a whole ploy to, you know, get some publicity for his book because he said he was going to go on a media blitz, but I guess it never happened because nobody wanted to hear from him. So for me, I question the person, but the message is valid. Yeah, definitely. The accountability message was something I so, appreciated. So. And the other part, which is bigger than all of that, whether my opinion, regardless of what I think of the individual, right? Yeah. The, the biggest message that I see from this is, you know, because I tr- try to stress mental health and physical health. Well, what is that doing to the mental health of people who served in Afghanistan? Now, what is that doing to the mental health of people just I, – I never went to Afghanistan. I went to Iraq three times, right? Mm-hmm. But seeing my friends and how they're taking that seeing the toll that it, it put on them mm-hmm. that, that there's nothing I can do for them, you know, and that's, that's a burden that they're carrying and they're carrying alone. You know, the only other people that can really truly understand what they're going through is somebody that was there with them. I wasn't there. I don't know. You know, I can sympathize. I can empathize, but if it's worrying on me seeing my friends like that, then what is it doing to them? You know, and, and again, I, I, I knew you wanted to come on and say something about Afghanistan. That that's what I really wanted to make sure that we all got out that whether we went or we didn't, we served our country, but we know we have friends that went there. We have friends that didn't come back. We have friends that left their, some of their body parts over there. Right. Yeah, I talk about this. This one friend, um, he went, and his his vehicle was hit by a IED. Right, so his the team leader didn't make it. He was he passed away instantly. But his best friend survived. But he was he lost his leg, right? And so the medic, my friend, went and he had to uh, you know treat him. Right. Well, how? How how is that? Like how how are you supposed to get over something like that? Like you're treating your best friend, and you know you have to do the best you can to keep your friend alive. And then when you hand him over, you know he's alive when you when you hand him over, but you don't know if he's going to survive. That that's going to take a toll on you for the rest of your life. Yeah, most definitely. I'm I'm sure it's a very traumatizing experience. And so yeah, that that's definitely that's why I wanted to bring you on here because 
you bring a different perspective and you see things differently from me. Yeah. Just like you see things differently from junior. And that, that's what I want to get on here are different points of views. Yeah, definitely. I understand that. Yeah. I'm sure that was very traumatizing. Uh, you know, I've seen only videos and pictures and, you know, I, uh, you know, there's a saying for us is, you know, when we're infantrymen and, um, we train, 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 and train for this moment of going to, you know, fight or going to, you know, war. And every time you're lock and loaded to get ready and then it gets canceled and sent to another unit, you're like, well, that gummit, you know, like, you know, I, I, it's, we call it being a failed entryman, uh, you know, uh, at the same time, I feel like it's a sort of a serious thing, but at the same time, I learned to let go of it. Um, so that way it didn't bother me the, the rest of my life of never being to, able to do what I was trained to do. You know, um, it was a little disheartening, I guess, getting all that training and never implementing it except for just, you know, repetition and repetition, muscle memory mind memory of, you know, uh, calling out nine lines, uh, how to use certain medical tools on certain, uh, battle wounds, um, like just doing all that stuff over and over and over and it just kind of sticking with you. Um, like it just, I, you know, I, it's keeping you prepared for that moment, but you know, I, I just learned to let go of the whole failed infantryman little saying that we had. Um, so, um, you know, I, I am fortunate that I've never been, uh, in an area that will give me a traumatizing experience, uh, or, you know, later down the road have, uh, post, uh, traumatic stress, uh, disorder. Um, like I'm fortunate I don't have that. My dad has it. I'm sure my uncle has it, um, you know, and it's something my dad struggled with for a long time. And I didn't even know it until uh, about a year and a half ago. He finally told me for about five years, he uh, just felt suicidal. And, you know, looking at my dad, knowing like, man, this is one of the strongest uh, mentally tough people I know. And for him to, you know, tell me that. And uh, have, like, little moments where I guess there's, like, some anxiety that builds up into them. Uh, you know, like, I I felt bad for him, you know, because I was like, well, I, I don't know how to help him out myself. Um, and, uh, you know, if I could, I would. But like you said, I mean, all you could do is sympathize or empathize for them, you know. And my dad has been, I think he's been doing pretty good after he finally told me about it. Um, and he just, uh, he's, he's doing, he's doing good. So, and, uh, I actually helped him do his, uh, VA disability, um, and got him up to, I got him up to 90% recently. And, um, he's, uh, going for he's submitting one more paperwork uh that's supposed to put him at 100 but um this other guy at the va office in our local town is helping him 
So um, hopefully he gets it. Um, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of veterans are deserving of more than 50%, you know. Um, so, but, you know, like I said, it's like, or like you said, it's, you know, you can empathize and sympathize with, you know, your friends or people you may know that have been there. I mean, because you, you don't know how it was because, I mean, you yeah, haven't been there in that area. So, yeah. And so last year when this kicked off, you know, I, I was still a first sergeant and I had a couple of people come to my office and, you know, they gave me that speech that you see in the mil- uh, in the movies, right? The, hey, well, I want to go. It's like, and it's like, well, how would, you? and they, both of them ended the same way. Well, top, how would you feel if you were in my shoes and you had never gone? And I had to tell them both, please get the hell out of my office. Yeah. And it was no disrespect to any of them. Yeah. It, I don't want anybody to have to go into combat if they don't have to. Yeah. And so whoever served, you, if you served honorably, you did what your country asked. Yep. Regardless of what it was. Like you did what your country asked. You volunteered. You're part of the 1%. Right? We talk about the one percenters, right? The rich people. But we're, we're the real 1%. Definitely. We said, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go out there. I'll be away from my family for days, months, years at a time um, to make sure that this country's safe. And you, all you can do is what your country asks you to do. Yeah. If you served honorably, that's enough. If you were those few that went above and beyond, God bless you. And I hope you found peace, uh, you know, in the afterlife. Um, but there, there's, I, I've seen a lot of people say that. I'm not saying that you did that, but or you do that. But I've seen other people, well, they'll like make an excuse or like, well, you know, I don't, you know, my PTSD isn't as bad as yours or I don't have PTSD. It's like, who cares? Like, I hope nobody gets PTSD. Yeah, definitely. I hope, I hope everybody gets out and, and you're healthy. Like you don't, I don't want you to have, be like me where my, it feels like my arms are falling off every day, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't want that for anybody. I, you know, I want everybody to go out and live to live a happy life, productive life. And if, if you just want to be a fisherman, if you want to go down to the river and just fish every day and, you know, sustain yourself like that, then do that. If you want to go be the next uh, Jeff Bezos and start your own Amazon, then go do that. Whatever makes you happy and fulfill, provides fulfillment for you in your life. That, that's all I want for, for guys. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely a hundred percent agree with that. You know, is, uh, uh, when, you know, when you said that, it reminded me of a story when I was in infantry school, I had a, uh, a staff sergeant I looked up to, uh, I hadn't seen him since but he i know he was a gunny the last time i heard about him but uh uh, a bunch of the guys you know were just talking to him and kind of cutting up and uh one of them was like staff sergeant do you ever think we'll go back to combat and he was he looked at us and you could see you could see it in his eyes that he was being dead serious when he said uh i hope none of you ever have to go to combat and we all just kind of looked at each other and he walked off and I mean, they, they were quiet after that. And I mean, I, I kind of understood what he was saying, uh, but you know, like I didn't have the experience to fully understand what he was saying, you know? And, um, like I was, like I was saying is, you know, like I'm, I'm fortunate that 
I came back in a sound mind, uh, or I got out in a sign mind and, you know, all my body parts attached and my knees kill me every day, but <laughs> who in the military don't have bad knees after they get out. So, um, you know, uh, I'm just a, I'm a fortunate veteran pretty much. So. Yeah, and when you came on, you apologized. You never have to apologize for anything when you come on this uh, podcast, Julian. Okay. And you could always come on whenever you want. Uh, it, just so everyone knows, everybody who comes on here is just volunteering to come on free of charge. They're offering their time um, so they can give you bits of nuggets of what helped them when they transitioned out and just trying to help other people out. Um like I said, I just didn't want to be the cause of you, uh, <laughs> you know, going off the road. That's all. Yeah, definitely. And I was, I was driving a, a big rig pretty much with a skid steer on it. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I was hoping I'd be off in time, uh, cause that was, we were supposed to get off at three thirty, but, uh, the job got extended and I didn't get home to, I don't know, about six o'clock. So that was my bad on that, but yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be free. No, that that's perfectly fine. Like your uncle, when I went out there, you know, he was working on cars and took 30 minutes to do a podcast with me. So you hear like all the work going on in his auto shop and the cars driving by and went to my buddy's house who has a farm, right? So you could hear all the chickens and all the birds. And, yeah. You know, I understand people have lives, you know. Yeah. We're just trying to help each other out. So, you know, if somebody needs me to come on at two in the morning, because that's when they're available. All right. That's fine by me. Yeah. You know? Um, but you said you were helping your uh, dad with his uh, his VA claim, right? Or you helped him out? Yeah. Um, so... I, I recently joined the VFW, but I know there are other other groups out there. Did, did you consider joining any anything uh, when you got out? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I've just been so busy uh, working for my dad that I just felt like, you know, when I come home, uh, I got a few things that I like to do is uh, hanging out with my family. It's probably the biggest thing is hanging out with them. Um and then playing with my two-year-old son, um, and then hoping to raise him old school or old fashioned, like I was raised, uh, being disciplined, uh, not being so easily influenced by, you know, uh, worldly views. Um, you know, just trying to keep the, the old fashioned generation alive still through my family. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty heavy about that. And, uh, you know, uh, I like to ride my Harley. My dad uh, got me to buy a Harley. I never thought I'd ever ride a bike in my life. Um, I've seen some people do some crazy things on bikes, and I'm just like, man, I don't think I could ever ride a bike. And, you know, and I know people don't watch out for bikers on the road for real. So, like, you got to be very defensive when you're driving and, you know, and still have fun while you're riding. But um, there's just some things I won't do when I ride my bike. But when I get on my bike and I ride with my dad, you know, uh, just cruising around and, uh, I have, I put speakers on it recently and, uh, now I get to play some music loud, just driving down like a back country road. And it's pretty cool during the fall time down here. Cause like the roads are 
especially curvy roads have like woods all the way up to the road and um the leaves since it's fall it's turning color and stuff so leaves are on the road and i like looking in my mirror when i pass by a bunch of group of leaves and watch them like kind of fly up like it's a movie or something i don't know man but you know i i would recommend uh if you're a veteran going with a friend and buy a bike together and ride together something you can do and bond um but no to answer your question sorry i went on a little rant but um no i've I've never really thought about joining one because i felt like i just wouldn't have enough time to dedicate to being a part of uh something like that and you know whenever like in our last podcast uh that you had um i mentioned whenever i was went to do my va disability i reached out to (laughs) literally everything i could around my uh my area vfws the dav i think it's called the dav um and like i could get no one on the phone no one and i just was like man this is i like because i knew i had to get it done and that's i was just so goal oriented about like getting it done making sure i had like my uh p's and q's crossed and uh I, i that's how i learned i did it by myself and um, I couldn't ask any of my senior enlisted because they haven't done that process yet. So they didn't know. And uh, so, but yeah, no, I, I, I haven't thought about joining one. Yeah, no. So that's great. Cause you know, you mentioned that you have a little one, right. And spending time with your, with your family, that that's, that's important. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my, my kids are older, so they're out. So, um, you know, I have the time to go out there. And the only reason why I mention it is because, you know, I, I got to meet some Vietnam veterans and, you know, hearing their stories, you know, and hear their perspective and then the, how they dealt with the VA. Um, so the VFW offers uh, the VSO training to help people out with their VSA, uh, VA claims. Right. Yep. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do that next month. Um, so I can, that's not going to be my job, but like if somebody needs assistance then I could, provide assistance for them. So awesome. we don't have this going on, you know, we're, so I'm trying to get the word out. Like after December, I think it's like 12th or something, then I'll be trained and certified and I can help people with their claims. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. I did, I did not know that wasn't a job. I, Cause like whenever there's like state, cause I, I, I was doing research, man, uh, trying to figure out who could help me do my VA claim. And that's when I stumbled upon VSOs and I looked mm-hmm. up state VSOs in North Carolina at the time. And then I looked up the VSOs in my area and there was about five. I called all five numbers and let me tell you, I was calling and calling, leaving voicemail after voicemail, shoot them an email. Um, so I didn't know that was a job I, uh, or not a job. I thought it, I thought it was, I didn't know it was like a, um, you know, you're, you're you just you just have to be certified from the uh, from the Department of Veteran Affairs. Okay, and then you could do that. But people like Fort Bragg, they have four positions there, right? Yeah. So they're supposed to have four people employed full time doing it, but they don't pay those people enough, and they have to deal with, uh, you know soldiers and airmen who are getting out yeah, and they procrastinate. And so they're stressed out 
And so they take it out on the VSOs. So the VSOs don't last. They only last a few months. It's like, you know what? I, I don't need this. And they quit. Uh, I can understand that. I mean, that's, that's unfortunate, you know, on both ends of the spectrum. But, you know, like, uh, I'll be honest, uh, you know, any veterans that are thinking about getting out, like, you need to stay on top of your VA claim and get everything in order, keep it in order. And when you bring it to, uh, you know, the claims office on base or off base, if you end up hearing this and doing it later on in life, because I... I tried to encourage my dad when he got out many years ago, like, hey, you, you need to go do that crap, man. Like, I'm sure that's pretty important. And he just kind of, he that's when he started the business and got, uh, you know, 10 years down the road, I get out of the military uh, after four and a half years because I was worked with him for six years before I went in. And uh, uh, I get out and he sees you know, like I did my VA claim and he sees it's like kind of beneficial for me. Um, and he's like, well, shit. Uh, oh, excuse me. Sorry. I mean, Gus, uh, well, crap. Like I, I need to do mine. And I'm like that. I told you to do that years ago. You still haven't done that, you know? And, uh, so like I, I sat down with him for about two days straight and showed him how to do it. Um, and then we found out about, uh, buddy letters, uh, and buddy letters is a good thing, you know, because, like, if it's not in any of your medical history, which that does happen, or you decide not to go to medical and get it documented, um, like, you'll have a buddy in your unit, I guess. You type up the letter of what happened. They're like, yeah, yeah, I remember this when this happened. They sign off and date it, and you submit that as evidence, and that's, like, 100% evidence uh, that the VA can't deny that, um, uh, medical disability you're having. So. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, when I filed my claim, um, you know, I med boarded out, but I had heard so many horror stories about the VA. Um, I had three friends, uh, I typed up the letters and I sent it to them and I let them edit it, whatever they wanted to. Yeah then signed it and sent it back to me. I found that was easier than asking them to type up a letter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, like if you ask some, like one of your buddies, like I about, uh, cut my finger in half. And, uh, when I was in Korea, uh, <laughs> it was a funny story how it happened, but, um, uh, I nicked the tendon. So therefore I can't straighten the tip of my finger all the way out. And this was my trigger finger. So, like, once it healed, I was like, oh, God, am I have to shoot left-handed now? Because I don't know if it's going to affect me being able to close or pull or squeeze my finger, you know, to pull the trigger. And um, what happened was is once it finally fully healed, I was able to slowly start being able to make my finger touch my, uh, the bottom end of my palm. And for a while, I couldn't do it. Um, it. It just hurt too bad. And I just, I kept, you know, doing it every day, doing little exercises, because, like, I, I wanted to shoot right-handed. It was what I was comfortable with, what I was used to. That that was my lethal, my lethal side. So um, I made sure to get myself squared away as fast as I could. Um, so 
what happened is they decided not to take me out of the field to go get me stitched up at a hospital. They had our MO and our corpsman uh, come in a tent where I was at, and I had just blood running out my finger, and I'm just like, okay, can we hurry this process along, close my finger, and, you know, uh, get this straightened out. And uh, so the MO looked at me and was like, hey, my guys have never done sutures before. Do you mind if they get practice in on your finger? And I looked at him and I was very hesitant about it. And I was like, you know what? To help better the corpsman, I'll make that sacrifice because I'm the one that, you know, caused this accident on my finger. And um, I, I figured it was the least I could do. But I looked at him and I was like, Doc, I need you to make sure my finger is numbed up all the way. Like, I do not want to feel them sticking the crap out of my finger. And, like, the first couple of guys did a decent job. Um, and then this one guy came up, and he did not have really a steady hand. And he had to keep pulling it out, going back in, pulling it out, going back in. And by that time, I was starting to feel my finger again. And I was like, all right, sir, you, you got to take over, sir. I, I can't handle that pain no more. <laughs> and uh, he took over. But what sucked is he had to pull all the work they did out and redo it. And then uh, my platoon corpsman pretty much like made sure it was clean every day um, and kept me squared away. And then by the time we left deployment, my finger started, uh, uh, the skin started to repair itself but it was like very dry. And if I would have been my finger, it felt like I ripped my finger open again and start bleeding. And so I had to put, keep putting like cocoa butter on there every day to make sure like the skin would stay soft around there. And finally it, it meshed itself together and I could, you know, uh, move my finger. I just couldn't bend the tip or straighten out the tip no more. And, uh, I got a nasty little scar across my finger, but, yeah, that sounds – so I was a medic too, and yeah, that sounds about right with the stitching ability. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Julian, so uh, you know we're going ahead in about 35 minutes now, so I'm trying to keep these in about 30 to 40 minutes because I found that if it goes past that, people won't download it because it's too long. <laughs> oh, man, I'll listen to, I'll listen to podcasts so, all so, day. <laughs> so – that's why I'm doing part one and part two because people have things to say and they should be given the chance to say whatever's on their mind. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, but do you have any shout outs or anything that you want to promote? Um, any businesses or anything? Uh, sure. If uh, you work for a business and need landscaping, hire U.S. Lawns. It's the best commercial landscaping franchise around. Um if you want, get a Harley. They're fun to ride. Drive safe. Uh, keep your eyes open because, like I said, cars don't watch out for you. Uh, and then, you know, thanks again, uh, Antonio, for having me on this podcast and letting, you know, my voice be heard or my opinion be heard. Um, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing and uh, keeping veterans informed uh, about uh, experiences of uh, exiting the military and transitioning back into the civilian world. Uh, Julian, you're always welcome to come on whenever you, you have my number. Whenever, if there's a topic you want to talk about, just let me know, and you're always welcome to come back on. Awesome. Thank you.
All right, so as always, everyone, you're important, you're special, you do matter. Your mental health and your physical health is important, so make sure you take care of that. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Zot, 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 and roll tide.